0: Book One, Part Six of A Confederate Girl's Diary This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate Girl's Diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson Book One, Part Six, June Fourth to June Sixteenth, eighteen sixty two. JUNE 4th. Miriam and Matty drove in in the little buggy last evening after sunset to find out what we were to do. Our condition is desperate. Beauregard is about attacking these Federals. They say he is coming from Corinth and the fight will be in town. If true we are lost again. Starvation at Greenwell, fever and bullets here will put an end to us soon enough. There is no refuge for us, no one to consult. Brother, whose judgment we rely on as implicitly as we did on fathers, we here has gone to New York. There is no one to advise or direct us, for if he is gone, there is no man in Louisiana whose decision I would blindly abide by. Let us stay and die. We can only die once. We can suffer a thousand deaths with suspense and uncertainty." the shortest is the best do you think the few words here can give an idea of our agony and despair nothing can express it i feel a thousand years old to-day i have shed the bitterest tears to-day that i have shed since father died i can't stand it much longer i'll give way presently and i know my heart will break shame where is god A fig for your religion if it only lasts while the sun shines. Better days are coming. I can't. Troops are constantly passing and repassing. They have scoured the country for ten miles out in search of guerrillas. We are here without servants, clothing, or the bare necessities of life. Suppose they should seize them on the way. I procured a pass for the wagon but it now seems doubtful if I can get the latter, a very faint chance. Well, let them go, our home next, then we can die, sure enough. With God's help I can stand anything yet in store for me. I hope to die shouting, the Lord will provide. Poor Lavinia, if she could only see us, I am glad she does not know our condition. 5.00 P.M. "'What a day of agony, doubt, uncertainty, and despair! "'Heaven save me from another such! "'Every hour fresh difficulties arose, "'until I believe we were almost crazy, every one of us!' "'As Miriam was about stepping in the buggy "'to go to Greenwell to bring in our trunks, "'mother's heart misgave her, "'and she decided to sacrifice her property "'rather than remain in this state any longer.' after a desperate discussion which proved that each argument was death she decided to go back to greenwell and give up the keys of the house to general williams and let him do as he pleased rather than have it broken open during her absence mattie and mr tunnard were present at the discussion which ended by the latter stepping in the buggy and driving miriam to the garrison "'General Williams called her by name, and asked her about Major Drum. "'It seems all these people, native and foreign, know us, while we know none. "'Miriam told him our condition, how our brothers were away, "'father dead and mother afraid to remain, "'yet unwilling to lose her property by going away. "'How we three were alone and unprotected here, "'but would remain rather than have our home confiscated.' he assured her the house should not be touched that it would be respected in our absence as though we were in it and he would place a sentinel at the door to guard it against his own men who might be disposed to enter the latter she declined but he said he would send his aide to mark the house that it might be known a moment after they got back the aide mr biddle i have his name to so many passes that i know it now came to the door mr tunnard left him there uncertain how we would receive a christian and i went out and asked him in he looked uncertain of his reception too when we put an end to his doubt by treating him as we invariably treat gentlemen who appear such he behaved remarkably well under the trying circumstances and insisted on a sentinel for he said though they would respect the property there were many bad characters among the soldiers who might attempt to rob it and the sentinel would protect it after a visit of ten minutes devoted exclusively to the affair he arose and took his leave leaving me under the impression that he was a gentleman wherever he came from even if there were a few grammatical errors in the pass he wrote me yesterday but, "'Thou that judgest another, dost thou sin?' "'Well, now we say, fly to Greenwell. "'Yes, and by to-night a most exaggerated account of the whole affair will be spread over the whole country, and we will be equally suspected by our own people. "'Those who spread useless falsehoods about us will gladly have a foundation for a monstrous one.' "'Didn't Camp Moore ring with the story of our entertaining the Federal officers? "'Didn't they spread the report that Miriam danced with one "'to the tune of Yankee Doodle in the State House Garden? "'What will they stop at now? "'Oh, if only I was a man and knew what to do!' "'Night. "'We were so distressed by the false position "'in which we would be placed by a Federal sentinel "'that we did not know what course to pursue.' As all our friends shook their heads and said it was dangerous, we knew full well what our enemies would say. If we win Baton Rouge, as I pray we will, they will say we asked protection from Yankees against our own men, are consequently traitors, and our property will be confiscated by our own government. To decline General Williams's kind offer exposes the house to being plundered. In our dilemma, we made up our minds to stay so we could say the sentinel was unnecessary. Presently a file of six soldiers marched to the gate. An officer came to the steps and introduced himself as Colonel McMillan of 21st Indiana Volunteers. He asked if this was Mrs. Morgan's. The general had ordered a guard placed around the house. He would suggest placing them in different parts of the yard. "'Madam, the pickets await your orders.' Miriam, in a desperate fright, undertook to speak for mother, and asked if he thought there was any necessity. "'No, but it was an additional security,' he said. "'Then, if no actual necessity, we will relieve you of the disagreeable duty, as we expect to remain in town,' she said. He was very kind, and discussed the whole affair with us, saying, when we made up our minds to leave, we told him after we could not decide, to write him word and he would place a guard around to prevent his men and the negroes from breaking in. It was a singular situation, our brothers off fighting them, while these Federal officers leaned over our fence, and an officer standing on our steps offered to protect us. These people are certainly very kind to us. General Williams especially must be a dear old gentleman." He is so good. How many good and how many mean people these troubles have shown us. I am beginning to see my true friends now. There is a large number of them, too. Everybody from whom we least expected attention has agreeably surprised us. General Williams will believe we are insane from our changing so often. His guard positively refused. June 5th. Last night I determined to stay. Miriam went after our trunks at daylight. A few hours after, Lily wrote we must go back. McClellan's army was cut to pieces and driven back to Maryland by Jackson. The Federals were being driven into the swamp from Richmond, too. Beauregard is undoubtedly coming to attack Baton Rouge. His fire would burn the town if the gunboats do not, The Yankees will shell at all events if forced to retire. It cannot stand. We can't go to New Orleans. Butler says he will lay it in ashes if he is forced to evacuate it from yellow fever or other causes. Both must be burned. Greenwell is not worth the powder it would cost, so we must stand the chance of murder and starvation there, rather than the certainty of being placed between two fires here. "'Well, I see nothing but bloodshed and beggary staring us in the face. "'Let it come. "'I hope to die shouting, The Lord will provide.'" June sixth, We dined at Mrs. Bruno's yesterday, and sitting on the gallery later had the full benefit of a Yankee drill. They stopped in front of the house and went through some very curious manoeuvres, and then marched out to their drill-ground beyond in returning the whole regiment drew up directly before us and we were dreadfully quiet for five minutes the most uncomfortable i have experienced for some time for it was absurd to look at the sky and i looked in vain for one man with downcast eyes whereon i might rest mine but from the officers down to the last private they were all looking at us I believe I would have cried with embarrassment if the command had not been given at that moment. They drilled splendidly, and knew it too, so went through it as though they had not been at it for an hour before. One conceited, red-headed lieutenant smiled at us in the most fascinating way. Perhaps he smiled to think how fine he was, and what an impression he was making.' WE GOT BACK TO OUR SOLITARY HOUSE BEFORE TWILIGHT AND WERE SITTING ON THE BALCONY WHEN MR. BIDDLE ENTERED. HE CAME TO ASK IF THE GUARD HAD BEEN PLACED HERE LAST NIGHT. IT SEEMS TO ME IT WOULD HAVE SAVED HIM SUCH A LONG WALK IF HE HAD ASKED COLONEL MCMILLAN. HE SAT DOWN, THOUGH, AND GOT TALKING IN THE MOONLIGHT, AND PEOPLE PASSING, SOME CITIZENS, SOME OFFICERS, LOOKED WONDERINGLY AT THIS UNHEARD-OF OCCURRENCE. I won't be rude to any one in my own house, Yankee or Southern, say what they will. He talked a great deal and was very entertaining. What tempted him I cannot imagine. It was two hours before he thought of leaving. He was certainly very kind. He spoke of the scarcity of flour in town, said they had quantities at the garrison, and asked permission to send us a barrel, which of course we refused it showed a very good heart though he offered to take charge of any letters i would write said he had heard general william speak of harry and when he at last left i was still more pleased with him for his kindness to us he says captain huger is dead i am very very much distressed they are related he says he talks so reasonably of the war that it was quite a novelty after reading the abusive newspapers of both sides. I like him and was sorry I could not ask him to repeat his visit. We are unaccustomed to treat gentlemen that way, but it won't do in the present state to act as we please. Mob governs. "'Mother kept me awake all night to listen to the mice in the garret. "'Every time I would doze, she would ask, "'What's that?' and insist that the mice were men. "'I had to get up and look for an imaginary host, "'so I am tired enough this morning. "'Miriam has just got in with all the servants. "'Our baggage is on the way, "'so we will be obliged to stay whether we will or no.' I don't care it is all the same starve or burn oh i forgot mr biddle did not write that pass it was his clerk he speaks very grammatically so far as i can judge june eighth sunday these people mean to kill us with kindness there is such a thing as being too kind Yesterday General Williams sent a barrel of flour to mother, accompanied by a note begging her to accept it, in consideration of the present condition of the circulating currency. And the intention was so kind, the way it was done so delicate, that there was no refusing it. I had to write her thanks, and got in a violent fit of the trembles at the idea of writing to a stranger." One consolation is that I am not a very big fool, for it took only three lines to prove myself one. If I had been a thundering big one I would have occupied two pages to show myself fully, and to think it is out of our power to prove them our appreciation of the kindness we have universally met with. Many officers were in church this morning, and as they passed us while we waited for the door to be opened, General Williams bowed profoundly. Another followed his example. We returned the salute, of course, but by to-morrow those he did not bow to will cry treason against us. Let them howl. I am tired of lies, scandal, and deceit. All the loudest gossips have been frightened into the country, but enough remain to keep them well supplied with town talk. It is such a consolation to turn to the dear good people of the world after coming in contact with such cattle. Here, for instance, is Mr. Boncase on whom we have not the slightest claims. Every day since we have been here he has sent a great pitcher of milk, knowing our cow is out, one day he sent rice the next sardines yesterday two bottles of port and madeira which cannot be purchased in the whole south what a duck of an old man that is only one instance june tenth this morning while i was attending to my flowers "'Several soldiers stopped in front of me, and, holding on the fence, "'commenced to talk about some brave colonel and a shooting affair last night. "'When all had gone except one who was watching me attentively, "'as he seemed to wish to tell me, I let him go ahead. "'The story was that Colonel Macmillan was shot through the shoulder, breast, and liver "'by three guerrillas while four miles from town last night on a scout.' He was a quarter of a mile from his own men at the time, killed one who shot him, took the other two prisoners, and fell from his horse himself when he got within the lines. The soldier said these two guerrillas would probably be hanged, while the six we saw pass captives Sunday would probably be sent to Fort Jackson for life. I think the guerrilla affair mere murder, I confess, but what a dreadful fate for these young men! One who passed Sunday was Jimmy's schoolmate, a boy of sixteen. Another, Willie Garrig, the pet of a whole family of good honest country people. These soldiers will get in the habit of talking to me after a while through my own fault. Yesterday I could not resist the temptation to ask the fate of the six guerrillas and stopped two volunteers who were going by to ask them. They discussed the fate of the country, told me Fort Pillow and Vicksburg were evacuated, the Mississippi opened from source to mouth. I told them of Banks's and McClellan's defeat. They assured me it would all be over in a month, which I fervently pray may be so. Told me they were from Michigan, one was Mr. B., he said, cousin of our general, and they would probably have talked all day if i had not bowed myself away with thanks for their information it made me ashamed to contrast the quiet gentlemanly liberal way these volunteers spoke of us and our cause with the rabid fanatical abusive violence of our own female secession declaimers Thank heaven I have never yet made my appearance as a Billingsgate orator on these occasions. All my violent feelings, which in moments of intense excitement were really violent, I have recorded in this book. I am happy to say only the reasonable dislike to seeing my country subjugated has been confided to the public ear when necessary." and that even now i confess that nothing but the reign of terror and gross prejudice by which i was surrounded at that time could justify many expressions i have here applied to them Fact is, these people have disarmed me by their kindness. I expected to be in a crowd of ruffian soldiers who would think nothing of cutting your throat or doing anything they felt like, and I find among all these thousands not one who offers the slightest annoyance or disrespect. The former is the thing as it is believed by the whole country, the latter the true state of affairs. I admire foes who show so much consideration for our feelings. Contrast these with our volunteers from New Orleans, all gentlemen, who came to take the garrison from Major Haskins. Several of them passing our gate where we were standing with the Brunos, one exclaimed, "'What pretty girls!' It was a stage aside that we were supposed not to hear. "'Yes,' said another, "'Beautiful!' but they look as though they could be fast fast and we were not even speaking not even looking at them sophie and i were walking presently and met half a dozen we had to stop to let them pass the crossing they did not think of making way for us number one sighed such a sigh number two followed and so on when they all sighed in chorus for our edification "'while we dared not raise our eyes from the ground. "'That is the time I would have made use of a dagger. Two passed in a buggy, "'and trusting to our not recognizing them "'from the rapidity of their vehicle, "'kissed their hands to us until they were out of sight. "'All went back to New Orleans, "'vowing Baton Rouge had the prettiest girls in the world. "'These were our own people, the elite of New Orleans, "'loyal Southerners and gentlemen.' These northerners pass us satisfied with a simple glance. Some take off their hats, for all these officers know our name, though we may not know theirs. How, I can't say! When I heard of Colonel Macmillan's misfortune, Mother conspired with me to send over some bandages and something Tish manufactured of flour under the name of nourishment, for he is across the street at Harriman's. "'Miriam objected on account of what our people will say, and what we will suffer for it if the guerrillas reach town, but we persuaded her we were right. You can imagine our condition at present many years hence, Sarah, when you reflect that it is the brave, noble-hearted, generous Miriam who is afraid to do that deed on account of public opinion, which is indeed down on us.' "'At Greenwell they are frantic about our returning to town "'and call us traitors, Yankees, and vow vengeance. "'A lady said to me, "'The guerrillas have a blacklist "'containing the names of those remaining in town. "'All the men are to be hanged, their houses burned, "'and all the women are to be tarred and feathered.' "'I said,' Madam, if I believed them capable of such a vile threat even, much less the execution, I would see them cut down without a feeling of compassion, which is not true, and swear I was a Yankee rather than claim being a native of the same country with such brutes. She has a long tongue. When I next hear of it, it will be that I told the story, and called them brutes, and hoped they would be shot, etc., and so goes the world. No one will think of saying that I did not believe them guilty of the thought even. Our three brothers may be sick or wounded at this minute. What I do for this man, God will send someone to do for them, and with that belief I do it. June eleventh, Last evening Mother and Miriam went to the arsenal to see if they would be allowed to do anything for the prisoners. General Williams received them, and fascinated Miriam by his manner as usual. Poor Miriam is always being fascinated according to her own account. He sent for little Nathan Castle and Willie Garrig and left them alone in the room with them, showing his confidence and delicacy by walking away. The poor young men were very grateful to be remembered. One had his eyes too full of tears to speak. Mr. Garrig told Miriam that when the story of her refusing the escort was told in camp, the woods rang with shouts of, three cheers for Miss Morgan!' They said they were treated very well and had no want except clean clothes, and to let their mothers know they were well and content. I have been hard at work mending three or four suits of the boys' clothing for those poor young men.' Some needed thread and needle very much, but it was the best we could do. So I packed them all up, not forgetting a row of pins, and sent Tish off with the bundle, perched real Congo fashion on her many-colored head-handkerchief, which was tied in the most superb creole style in honor of the occasion. June 16th, Monday My poor old diary comes to a very abrupt end to my great distress. The hardest thing in the world is to break off journalizing when you are once accustomed to it, and mine has proved such a resource to me in these dark days of trouble that I feel as though I were saying good-bye to an old and tried friend thanks to my liberal supply of pens, ink, and paper, how many inexpressibly dreary days I have filled up to my own satisfaction, if not to that of others! How many disagreeable affairs it has caused me to pass over without another thought! How many times it has proved a relief to me, where my tongue was forced to remain quiet! Without the blessed materials I would have fallen victim to despair and the blues long since, but they have kept my eyes fixed on better days a-coming, while slightly alluding to present woes, kept me from making a fool of myself many a day, acted as lightning-rod to my mental thunder, and have made me happy generally. For all of which I cry, Vive PEN, INK, AND PAPER! and add with regret. Adieu, my mental conductor. I fear this unchained lightning will strike somewhere in your absence. End of Book One, Part Six